0: what is the end of this series that we began a few months ago on time meaning what does it mean to have the type of life where we make the most of every moment that God has given us and what I simply mean by that is do we see our lives as just sort of mundane or happening um, a, a modest existence on earth or do we really recognize that time is is significant time means you have life When God has given you time, what that means is he's put you on the surf for a reason. And he's given you a commodity to spend. A commodity that has the ability to make a great difference in your own life and in the lives of those around you. And so we continue this series, kind of wrapping up here with this idea of how to evaluate our time priorities. All of these messages have been recorded and are online. This is certainly a standalone teaching, so you don't need to have listened to those other teachings to, to benefit from this. But I certainly want to encourage you that they are building upon each other. So there are some great things that you can derive from those truths if you need to back listen to them. So I'd encourage you to do that. But for today, we're going to take sort of everything we've spoken about and tidy it up into this, this action step that I'll leave you with here at the back end of our message. And I want to share with you, on the front end of this, a story. It's a true story. It's one I share with you about five years ago, because I think it's the most significant way that I can explain what it is we're trying to talk about today. And it's a story that revolves around my mother, who was a, a great mom, uh, made incredible sacrifices for my brother and I growing up. I was raised in what's now known affectionately as the latchkey generation, essentially, at sixth grade or so, uh, our parents were working nonstop and we sort of raised ourselves for the better part of adolescence. But what was interesting is for our younger years, my mom decided to sort of head that reality off. We didn't even know what the latchkey thing was. We were told about that like 20 years after it happened. Now we know that there was a significant sort of generational marker in how kids were raised. And what was interesting was my mom and dad both worked. Uh, my dad is uh, a high school dropout, complete uh, blue collar, and I don't mean that in any kind of a denigrating way. But really just had to work to survive. That's the the immigrant generation he grew up in. And my mom worked in a local bank for quite some time. And so when they had kids, my brother and I, my parents made the decision that my mom wanted to stay at home and raise us, which was a real blessing uh, for my brother and I. Just a reminder, we were not raised in a Christian home, but my mom had sort of an old school European-Italian understanding of raising children and wanted to be there for us. And so she was there for us up until about sixth grade when we literally made her go back to work because it was just embarrassing at that point. And so to to generate some money, uh, she took up this hobby, and also to stay sane, because my brother and I were pretty active kids, she started doing this thing called needlepoint. Any of you know what needlepoint is? Some of you? So needlepoint's interesting. Needlepoint is essentially a type of, uh, sewing is probably not the right word, but it revolves around these deep plastic canvases. It looks like thick graph paper. And you, based on what you're trying to knit, you can create all these designs and patterns. It's, It's sort of like a... An embroidery type of art and so she just picked this up as a hobby and actually it turned out that she was pretty good at it and so good that she started selling this stuff and people were buying it and so this hobby became like a little side job as she was raising us and what was funny is is i would watch her stitch that stuff all night long and lots of things stood out i mean she was working non-stop on that thing but there was an interesting contrast in the front of what a needlepoint looks like and the back of it So when you look at a completed needlepoint, the front side is actually a, it's an intricate web of stitches and colors and loops and knots, things going all over themselves and before you know it there's an image, whatever the image is you're trying to depict. But if you turn the needlepoint over on the back side, there is this complete mess of knots and strings. All your colors that are moving around in the front require you to do all of these sort of mechanical maneuvers on the back end. And so if you were to pick a needlepoint up from the back side of it, it looks terrible. That's just the bottom line of it. But you're not supposed to view needlepoint from the back side of it. You're supposed to view it from the front side where there is some kind of a pretty or beautiful or we might even say purposeful image. What you looked at, where you looked, determined the significance of the actual work from the bottom it was a mess but from the top a clear image and the connection I want to make here is that our time is a lot like needlepoint we've talked a lot about time over these past eight weeks particularly how it can be the greatest asset in our lives one of them anyways or it can be the kind of thing that stresses us beyond belief it can be the kind of thing that we flourish in that's what time is for God has designed us to flourish in our daily activities, in our work, with our families, with our friends. Anything we're doing, we're supposed to have a a meaningful sense of joy and purpose in that. That's one way we can spend time. The other way we can spend time is by having a a rampant busyness problem where time is not a tool that serves us. We serve it. We, We bow down before the tyranny of the urgent. And the point I'm trying to make here is that the way you look at your time, the way we look at our lives, we're probably viewing it from one of these two angles. Some of us can look at our lives and we think, man, there's a pretty beautiful image in my life right now. Things are good and smooth and my affairs are in order and I don't really feel stressed out. Things are great. Maybe we're seeing the needle point of time from the front side. But for some of us, time feels like a, a, a series of disjointed knots. It's random strings going everywhere and we might even feel, if we can only see the backside, that it's getting us nowhere. Here's the challenge with thinking like this. And I want to say if you're in the front side of the needle point right now, count your blessings if you're on the back side pray for grace but it is inevitable that at some point in our lives those images will sort of you know they're gonna rub shoulders with each other We're, we're never perfect in our time there are seasons of life that are more stressed than others but from God's perspective what we have to know is that it doesn't have to feel this way because the truth is is there is a needle point for every one of us God is always stitching a good and beautiful and perfect picture of our lives here's a great example of this today we remember the, the, the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem as he's looking to the cross eyes fixed on the cross he enters Jerusalem celebrated a king and crucified a peasant in about a week's time and that's another example of what I'm talking about today until the resurrection took place and people understood about the nature of it what it meant it looked like a series of disjointed knots we know where the disciples were fearing for their lives right everything is out of sorts at least from our perspective it was but from God's perspective, something really amazing was happening. He was completing a pretty beautiful picture in the life of his son Jesus that would give us the capability to have eternal life, a meaning and purpose on this life, in this life and for the next. And so that's why this idea, this fact that God sees the big picture in our lives and wants us to also, is timely. It's really timely that we speak about this on Palm Sunday. Because one of the main reasons Jesus went to the cross is so that we could find a more meaningful existence in God in every area of our lives. The one we talk about today is our time. And what I want to say here is the way you tap into that existence, the way you grow in that meaningful purpose is by understanding how to live your life for Jesus Christ. It's by recognizing time was given to us as a commodity, as a gift. And when we get beyond the knots, when we, desire, when we know the knots are in our lives, but they're doing something or creating something more purposeful and meaningful, it can change the way we see our lives. And it can also help us to establish clear time priorities. And that's what I want to talk about today. When you understand there is purpose for your life and meaning for your life, it significantly, significantly increases the chances of us actually beginning to determine what it is we need to be doing with our lives. Because remember how we spend our time dictates what our lives look like in this life and the next. This leads me to the first and the only real truth I want to share with you today. We'll unpack it for the entire morning. When we talk about time, the summation of everything I have said is that there is definitely a certain way God wants you to use your time on this earth. He is not up there seeing knots. He has painted an image for us that he wants to see fulfilled in our lives. He has a purpose and a meaning for us in every area of life. And every area of your life is affected by the way you use your time. And the way I want to approach this this morning is by pointing out he wants you and I living in such a way that we're producing, you're producing the fruit of Christ in everything you do. There is a way God wants you to use your time and a byproduct that comes out of it. The reason being Christian fruit is an evidence of a genuine relationship with Jesus. In our faith, fruit is most commonly used to describe a person's overall Christian character. It is sort of the culmination of Jesus working in your life. It talks about the way you carry yourself. It talks about the way you think about life. It talks about the way you treat others. Christian fruit sets your priorities. And in many ways, it's meant to be used as a mirror in which you and I can see the reflection of who Jesus is and we can sort of see how we meet that reflection or don't meet it. And I don't say that in a hard way. I'm not saying that the idea of fruit is for us to look at Jesus and be reminded of what we're not. That certainly is one of the ways we grow. Don't get me wrong. God has a very keen ability of showing us where we are and are not with him. But the idea of fruit is that in God's goodness and his grace, when we see the places where we are in Jesus, we are affirmed. And when we recognize the places where we need to grow, God is good and kind. He wants us to grow in those areas. And so in a a very real way, this idea of fruit is the best and most clear way we can understand how to live a life that has priorities that shape time in a way that honor God. And we first read about fruitfulness in Genesis, this is a word used all throughout the Bible. I'll read a verse from Galatians here to you in a moment, which gives us some particular characteristics. But before we get to those characteristics of fruit, I want you to understand the very origin of fruit in Scripture is talked about in Genesis. When God tells us we were created to be, fill in the blank, what? And multiply. Fruitful. Three of you have read Genesis. That's good. There is a whole bunch of stuff in the Old Testament you've got to read too, I know. I like the Jesus stuff. But you're right, Genesis really points this idea out that the purpose of mankind, the purpose of we as his people, is to be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. There's an amazing purpose and command in that, that gives us this unrivaled purpose in our lives when you think about it. God says it's through the fruitfulness of you and I that he wants to spread his goodness and grace to the world. Think about that. Fruit, how we understand our role in Jesus, affects what we do with our time. And when it comes to our time, God has declared it is you and I. God is working through us to spread his goodness and his grace to the world. You can see why it is important for us to have time for God and to use our time for God. And what I love about this type of teaching is that no other faith, and there are many of them out there you can choose from, some that are historic and have shaped elements of the globe, some that have deep traditions, and some in the world we live in today that are made up over a coffee. That's the kind of religion we have in our world today. There are the word religions and then the one your buddy made up while you were having lunch with him, right? Both of those things exist in our world. But I want you to know that whether it is a historical faith or a made-up faith, a personal, you know, spiritual mantra a person lives by, no other faith gives people this kind of worth and purpose in life consistently. That is the nature of what we think about today. Once again, God deems through the sacrifice of his son that he loves us and cares for us and that while we are not worthy of who God is, in Jesus we are made worthy. And one of the ways that our worthiness is sort of reflected in the world or portrayed in the world is through our fruit. And the main substance of Christian fruit, while we can talk about it from many angles, I just want to share one with you this morning. It's defined in Galatians 5, through 23. It'll be behind me. Here's what we read there. Paul writing to the people of Galatia, the church of Galatia. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And keep in mind, he, he says this sort of contrasting the things that are not of God. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of Jesus in us is love it is joy it is peace it is patience it is kindness it is goodness it is faithfulness it is gentleness it is self-control against things there is no law in other words God never speaks negatively against these things he says these are the things I want to have in your life these are the attributes I want your life to be defined by think about how self-control would shape our time right goodness how does that shape our time faithfulness to jesus christ to our neighbor in the world our fellow brother and sister in jesus how does that shape our time it radically shapes our time these verses are they describe what a christian's life is supposed to look like when it is truly connected to jesus and there are lots of other metaphors that are used to describe this in the bible the gospel of john gives us a great one it's sort of another layer to this idea where john tells us that every one of us when we talk about the authority or the power to actually have a life like this It's kind of married to this deep understanding, head, heart, and hands, of what it means to be connected to the life and light of Jesus Christ. He uses this tree analogy, the vine and the branch. I'm sure many of you have read this before. The idea is that Jesus is this deep vine that provides life to the branches of the tree, his kingdom, his people. And because of that vine, we now live. And when we truly live in Jesus, we are to be growing in our ability to live like this. So for those of us who have experienced this new life that we read about here, that we're talking about here, that we, we remember today and celebrate in a week, when we come to faith in Jesus, we have to know that it, it changes everything. It is meant to change everything. I don't mean that in naive or sensational ways. You've heard me say this a lot. God often does and can work in the sensational. I'm not saying he hasn't, but I am saying more often it is a slow road, a journey, if you will, with following Jesus. God doesn't usually throw light switches in our lives. He can. But oftentimes, his persistent work in our life is what brings about these truths. So when I say new life, I don't mean that it flips on like a light switch, although it can. I more mean, what does it mean to pursue Jesus in a way that that creates this type of fruit in our life? And what it does is it changes everything over time. Most importantly, the attitudes and the priorities of our hearts. And so when you live in the power of Jesus' love, the evidence of that is when your life begins to bear the markings of Jesus' life, what the scripture calls fruit. So being connected to the vine over time is supposed to change several things. I want to just share a few of them with you. It changes the way we see, right? It changes the way we look at life. It gives us a new set of eyes to understand our perspective, to sort out our circumstances. It can change the way we see ourselves. It's supposed to anyways. Many of us did not have worth before we found Jesus. And then we recognize what it meant to be worthy. To have uh, an identity and a worth in Christ that is beyond rival. Some of us had too much identity, too much worth. And in God's economy, his identity humbled us, right? It goes both ways. But the bottom line is that the way we see ourselves begins to change. The way we love our neighbors should change. It has the power to turn a selfish heart generous and a bitter one joyful. The fruit of Jesus is even supposed to change how we see our money, our morality, and in the subject of what we've been talking about, our time. It is exempted from no area of our life. It is the the branch, you might say, that is meant to create fruit that shapes these areas. In short, one of the greatest evidences in your life that you are connected to Jesus' vine, and truly following Jesus, is when you begin to experience the slow and steady process of him defining and redefining, at times, the most significant areas of life this is what we talked about two weeks ago when i said we talked at length about working and resting and how those are two things god has given us they're one of the ways that we become fruitful understanding what it means to work and having a healthy understanding of rest leisure if we let work and rest define work and rest and not the ethics of god's kingdom what is very likely to happen is true with all of these things i've just mentioned we start we start having definitions of life in areas that are different from the one God's kingdom is meant to prescribe to our hearts. Work becomes something that is no longer fruitful. It's a burden in our lives. And rest is the kind of thing that is not the byproduct of a fruitful life. It's, it can become negligence or laziness. We need an ethic in all areas of life that defines the ethic. And what that simply means when we talk about Christ, his fruit, and the cross here in a week is that the Christian life is simply, a, it's a journey to rethrone Jesus as the king of our lives in the areas where we don't have him as the king. So, I want to make a connection here. Why is it that we are talking about producing fruit in a series aimed at helping us to be wise with our time? What is the connection with fruit and time? Well, there are a few, but I want to make an important point right now. Hear me here. If you've come in here discouraged about this, you need to hear this. The ability to produce fruit is a great hope to those who want to see change in their lives but feel like they can't do it on their own. And that's often what happens with a time issue, is sometimes it can be so overwhelming that we lose heart, that we we feel like there is no capability to, to manage the circumstance. It is the tyranny of the urgent. Life owns us, we don't own life. Here's why it is important to know that this idea of fruit is such an immeasurable hope for us. It shows us that a person wanting to have a major area of their life redefined. If you've come into this room saying, man, there are some things in my life that I wish would be different. There are some attitudes in my heart that I wish would be different, but it's been a really hard road. Sometimes it seems impossible to see or experience change in those areas. What this teaches us is that you do not carry within you a naive hope about that actually happening. On the contrary, your heart is trying to claim a real promise that God has made to people to restore them to the way they were meant to be. So I want you to hear me here. Your desire to be wise, which was how we began this series, applying, understanding and applying the wisdom of Jesus to all areas of life. Your desire to be wise when it comes to, t- to tackling the issue of busyness or, or time, it might seem surface level like a time management issue. But for the Christian, it's much deeper than that. What you and I do with our time is dictated by the priorities of our heart. And so to see a change in time requires there to be a change in the heart. And to have a true change in the heart, it requires there, according to the scriptures, it requires that we have a God that is for us, who is willing to labor for us on that behalf. And I want you to know that the cross teaches us that that is the posture God has before us. So time is much more than just time. And producing fruit in your time, loving God in such a way to where you are fruitful and multiply. You, you make disciples disciples. You raise men and women, children, to grow in Jesus Christ. That is an evidence of a desire to do something good for God with your time. It is an evidence of fruit. And an evidence of fruit is the reality of Jesus working in your life. It is an evidence of your heart beginning to dethrone a lie you've chosen to believe about working and resting. And it it shows a true desire to rethrone Jesus in that area. And I personally think that that is awesome. Because what it does for me is it gives me hope on the days where I look at things I want to see differently but feel like I cannot bring them about. There is a power and humility in that. It is a total evidence of the reality of Jesus' promise to complete in us and in our circumstances and in the lives of those we love the good work he began in us. That's what fruit means. It means that God began the process, is committed to the process, and we'll see it through in our lives, in all areas. Now, That is, hopefully, something that is hopeful to you. But I need to introduce a counterpoint here, a a frankly speaking point. That's usually my idea, my my words that I'm going to use when I want to sort of juxtaposition an idea against an idea. A teaching like this is going to be very problematic for a great many of us in the Western world, especially for the American because we have had a very long epoch in American history where we have been told that the default way of coping with things in our lives is, is at once it was uh, to privatize issues, meaning it was sort of not it, it was not the status quo to be transparent with people about what was going on in your life and I've noticed today in culture that that's sort of morphed into something that is a little bit different but just as unhealthy and that is maybe we're more transparent with talking about the challenges we have in our life But we have come to this conclusion that the way we overcome them is sort of by picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps Coping with issues is privatized for some people, they're ashamed to bring this stuff up Or for others, they just attempt to address this entirely on their own I mean think about this, if I were to say listen uh, Wednesday I'm going to be at this theater, tell your friends about this My name is Anthony and I have the most mismanaged time priorities in my life But I would like to ask you to pay $150 and invite all your friends for me to speak to you about time management. Right? If I were to invite you to something like that, you would say that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's what self-helping ourselves in an area like this is life. We we say like, I got this major issue. I really don't know what to do with my time. I'm ruled by it. So I'm going to fix it myself. That would be the worst thing ever if you think about the logic of that. But that is the logic most of the people in our lives are are kind of aspiring to, to see happen in their lives. That's what they're doing. What these teachings show us is that there is an ability for the Christian to have a help that is outside ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility in this. It doesn't mean that to seek help from Jesus is a sign of weakness. That's another lie. That's not what Jesus says. What it says to us is that we have this objective good God who wants what is best for us in these these areas of lies. And he pointedly says in the Gospel of John, pointedly, when we talk about fruit, which is a synonym for change, There is no branch, that's you and me, no branch that can bear eternal, lasting, fruitful change without him. The key words being eternal and lasting. We just don't want to fix a surface level issue when it comes to this. We want to see deep and meaningful change. We want the root addressed. And according to Christ, that cannot happen without him. You can't see the branches changed if the vine is not connected to them. And that is because every human... Every one of us, even the strongest ones, have a breaking point. And if you have ever been ruled by time, you know what that feels like. There is a breaking point. There is sort of like a a towel that is thrown in. There's a a defeatist attitude that can really develop when time is owning your life. The painful reality of that statement is that brokenness often has to be experienced by our hearts before we'll believe it. What I mean by that is, We can sort of affirm this. We can say, yeah, we know the Bible talks about brokenness. But to actually get to the point where we see change in that area, it often requires it to actually happen. You know, the kind of secular proverb is you got to hit the bottom before you can actually desire change. I'm not saying that's true for every one of us. But I'm saying for a great many of us, the reason we start to seek change in these areas is because something gets broken badly. And then we really do believe that this is true about ourselves. Here's a, a scriptural example of this. There are lots of them that talk about this, but the one I like the best, the one that I think most uh, sort of most clearly describes this is the story of Exodus. Every story, the book of Exodus is essentially God doing this over and over and over in the lives of his people. It, you, could, you could summarize Exodus like this, like you guys got a lot of stuff going on in your lives that you just don't have the capacity to deal with, and I'm gonna help you deal with every single one of them. That's the story of Exodus. I mean, think of the elements in Exodus. God's vine Israel literally talked about from that angle right is they're enslaved by this great nation of Egypt immeasurably measurably powerful army and they are this ragtag group of civilian slaves who are going to try to free themselves that's what's going on they're trying to seek freedom that magnitude of that situation is not able to be addressed by their power and authority they cannot and did not do that in their own strength what happens there is circumstances overwhelm them there is no joy in that life anymore they can no longer deal with that issue However, in God's strength, they become something they could not be on their own. There is a fruit that develops there. Their inability to change their situation is no longer a weakness for them. It actually becomes a strength because it forces them to do the one thing the cross is meant to do every single day of our lives. It forces us to look towards God in every area. Whether we have great hope, we look to God and give thanks for it. Whether we are without hope, we can look to God and know we can still be thankful because he wants to restore hope where we are without it. That is the story of Exodus. God does in the lives of his people something his people cannot do in their own lives. That story, the myriad that follow in the Bible just like it, Jesus' words here, the words from the Apostle Paul, they are a real hope to those who want to change their time circumstances but haven't been able to. That's the moral of this story. There is hope when we are without it when it comes to what we do with our lives. Because all of us have times in life when time seems like an odd that is stacked against us I, I can tell you pretty confidently that uh, years ago, I actually said this in another message that, you know, if 10, 15 years ago, when you were to ask somebody how they were doing, they would say, okay, that was like the normal thing. Now, you know, listen to people. The normal response people have when you speak to them is this idea of busyness. Everybody's busy in everything, and that can really be true, or it could really be just something that we've started saying because we've seen the defeat to this issue. If you live in a life where you are ruled by the urgent, where you're trying to make a deep change in your heart that isn't coming at all or it isn't easy, what's happening is, is you're trying to grow fruit in an area that requires God to grow fruit. And this can affect a lot of things in our life. If you think about your time, every minute of your day affects some relationship in your life. It affects how you are as a person. What you do with your time affects who you are as a parent. It affects what you do with your spouse. It affects how faithful or unfaithful you are to God. It affects how you are patient with people. When you are impatient with somebody, you have spent a moment of your life seeding that. It shapes the way we are happy or unhappy. It is absolutely connected to, every, to, to our marriages, right? How we treat our spouses, how they treat us. That is the way we spend our time, an element of it anyways. Maybe you're saying, like, man, I'm always angry. Is that how I want to make the most of every moment in my life? Or I'm just completely sad all the time. Is that at the end of your days the way you want to say that you spent your time? Maybe you're here saying, no, I don't want to spend my time like that. I just want the raging seas of time to be like a flat, glassy sea. I'd like them to be like the inlet on a calm day, not the day all of you want to go out and surf and that craziness, right? Very different. One is like borderline death. It's It's absolutely tumultuous the way the waves look. And then there's another day where you can go out there and look at the waves and they just be completely tranquil. That's the part I'm talking about here. If this is you, ask yourself if the frustration you're experiencing is really because it's a business or a time issue. Or is this really, at this point in your life, uh, it's a situation where you're disconnected from the grace of Jesus. You're going to celebrate Easter and forget what it actually means. The promise of change in our lives, the promise to grow in our lives, is fueled by the authority and the power of, of Jesus. A meaningful life, I think a baby just said yes. That was awesome. You guys need to get down with that program. Don't make that baby leave. Bring that baby up here. <laughs> it's so true. This, this is an incredibly true statement. Our change, our fruit, is a grace from God. That doesn't mean we don't have to work at it. That doesn't mean we don't have to pray about it. It doesn't mean we don't have to have accountability in these areas. It just simply means the heavy lifting should be put in the lap of God. Now, this raises an interesting question. Uh, What responsibility do we have in that process when it comes to our time? Well, if you want to produce fruit, you must know it never grows on a tree that is cluttered. You think about this when it comes to the nature of of pruning. So you have to ask for Jesus' pruning wisdom. And this is why I talked about pruning at the back end of this and at the front end of this series. Because we talked a lot about having Jesus' wisdom in our lives first knowing him in the scripture, being around people that love God, praying to, pe- to God and actually having accountability. Wisdom is what shapes pruning. If we just start pruning without wisdom, we are likely to create new problems in our life. And I will revisit, anytime I talk about pruning, I talk to you about my lemon tree. This picture will be behind me here in a moment. It's an interesting thing to talk about, okay? So uh, I have a lemon tree, and it has it been in our yard now s- for seven years, and I've joked about it in the past. It's never really produced fruit well up until a few years ago. And then since that, we produce so many le- lemons when it actually comes to fruition that we we start passing them out here at church. It's kind of like a running joke This lemon tree here But what's interesting about the lemon tree Is about three weeks ago I was sitting in my yard And I noticed this I'd never seen this before I guess this tree does this every year I just don't look at it enough to appreciate it But I noticed that that green tree Had all these white buds on it And my my yard started feeling like, uh, smelling like a, a, a lemon field I mean it was pretty awesome It was sort of an interesting thing to look at Because I was beginning to see a tree After coming out of a season of dormancy which is sort of what we've been talking about here. Like time can feel like it's killing us, right? When you look at a tree during the winter, it often looks like it is lifeless. Nothing is going on. Stuff is falling off of it. But as we get into spring, which is about this time here, right? The tail end of winter, the tree starts to wake up. Stuff starts happening at it. And I honestly, I grew up in a city where there was one tree on my block. I'm not joking when I say this. There was one tree on the block I grew up. And I looked at this tree and I took a picture of it because I thought, I'm looking at a beauty here that I've not really been exposed to a lot this is pretty awesome to see this little thing and I wasn't sure if that was like God speaking to me or I was becoming a hippie but whatever it was I looked at this tree and it captivated me and I took a picture of it and I said there's going to come a time when I can talk about this to you all and that's what this is, is here it was interesting seeing what looked like a completely unhealthy tree start to come back to life after some basic pruning was done to it that's what preceded this there was some clipping I did about three weeks prior minor clipping And this is a real benefit for me I want you to know that if you talk to Corinne my wife she will tell you that uh, for the most part I am no longer allowed to do any major pruning in our house for anything because I kill everything I prune I just I really hack stuff down to the roots it mimics that scene in a Christmas story when Ralphie's dad goes into the furnace in the basement I don't know if you've ever seen that but what happens is I I get out there for some reason I want to fight the tree whatever it is I'm looking at and I just hack it to pieces and likely need counseling for this but I prune unhealthily I prune without the wisdom of knowing what is going on here and I've tried to change that so that this happens and we don't have to cut a tree down. But the story here is that every time a tree gets cleaned up, any it is pruned, any you make minor adjustments to this thing, within a few weeks something happens. Something dies and something becomes healthy. Every time. And there is no doubt that trimming away all this dead weight, it causes these life explosions. That is a universal truth when you take care of anything growing out of the ground. And it is also a universal truth when it comes to the way we pursue Jesus. Our spiritual lives in Christ function under the same principle. Pruning is not a word I've made up. Jesus literally uses those words. And it's fair to say that pruning, wise pruning, always precedes growth. Always. Now, I want to compare and contrast the healthy routine of, of pruning, this biblical principle, with the more common way we as people tend to deal with pruning. You think about this. If urgency is dictating what we do and how we prune, then what is likely to happen is we, we are likely to more have knee-jerk reactions to what we invite into our lives and remove from our lives than we are a clear sense of purpose and wisdom in those two areas. Rather than conducting Jesus' approved regular routine of pruning or making the most of every opportunity, looking at every branch and saying, what about this one, what about that one, to produce long-term fruit, what tends to happen is we over-accumulate tasks. We just start getting busy and stressed. And it is so common to then just start quitting stuff. It's the equivalent of what I said a few weeks ago. It's a, it's a hack job regarding pruning but if you remember that analogy I used about a locomotive I said if your life looks like a locomotive meaning it's constantly stopping and starting your life is just jerking back and forth you're you know, five feet down the run in one area and then stopped and the track changes and you're three feet down the road in that area and then you're stopped. If you're, if you're committed then quitting. If your heart is restless in all areas. If you are constantly suffering from physical, spiritual and, and an emotionally erratic life what that likely means is you're hacking you're not pruning you're not thoughtfully approaching these things in a way that Jesus wants us to and from a pastoral perspective what's most painful about this is when people begin hacking when the machete comes out it almost always has a specific target it is almost always God this is a this is just something I've seen more than I would like to see in my life and I would be lying to you if I didn't say there are not seasons in my own life when it happens to me It's really important that we hear what I'm about to say right now because it can be painfully true. In the life of a Christian, when it is time to prune, when we hit the wall, what often goes first are the most significant elements of our walk with Jesus Christ. And there's probably a good reason for that. There's not a good reason to do it, but there's a good reason why we might think it's a good reason to do it. Jesus is typically a gentleman with us. Seldom does he, like for example, if you were to go to your job and say, I'm not doing this anymore. Your boss would say, perfect. Get your desk packed up and get out of here. There is no grace, but when you go to Jesus like that, that's not typically his first response. God is kind and patient, and sometimes we can, in the interest of pruning our lives for God's kingdom, we can actually start taking advantage of God. God is almost always going to be more gracious to us when we cast aside these things at first than than other people, immediate or the pressing needs in our lives, and what this usually looks like is, it's a pullback. Hacking is sort of like we start cutting the things out of our life that we think are not important we stop getting into the word, we stop praying, we might disconnect ourselves from God's people, we might feel like serving God and our neighbors, is just not important, making disciples, that's not a big thing, other people will do it, there's lots of Christians on the earth, I gotta devote my life to this season now, whatever it is. What starts happening is, is we see things with our own eyes, we are ruled by the tyranny of the urgent and we do it at the expense of the eternal. This is how I wanna begin wrapping up. All these things begin to feel like, like tasks that are pulling us away from being productive. I mean, why pray when you can be working or resting? Why read your Bible when that 10 to 15 minutes a day or whatever your Bible study time is, that can be devoted to other things. I just don't have the time for that anymore. I can get ahead in other areas of my life. Uh, Why take the time to meet the needs of other people? That takes a lot of time. That is taxing on every resource you have, your time, your energy, and your money. Why invest in that when you can shorten your own to-do list? Why serve Jesus with your gifts in your church family? Why bless your neighbor? Why, Why penetrate your natural spheres of influence when you are just so busy? Why do that stuff? It's just one more thing to do what I would say is that rhythm in our lives is hacking. It's not pruning. And it likely will just lead to other issues. It creates a serious question that we have to answer. If we want to prune in wisdom, how do we do this? How do we avoid the hack? And how do we identify the hack when it, when it desires to rule our lives? Well, the first step in pruning your life with Jesus's wisdom is to see your time through the lens of eternity. That's what I want to say. This is truly where the... The beginning of this message meets the end of it. We have to see things through the eyes of Jesus Christ. We have to see life through eternal fruit. And I have said this before in this room. I want you to, if you want to do a study on time in the Bible, which I would encourage you to do. When it comes to time, on the, under heaven, in the earthly perspective, most of us divide it up into minutes and hours. There's a metaphor the Bible uses here. But the Bible is always talking about it as days and years. The Bible is never talking about the immediate and the urgent. It's not talking about us planning like, like out of knee-jerk reactions for right now. That's not the way God encourages us to view our lives. If you think about those knee-jerk reactions, most of us will get about 80 years on this earth. That is a blip in the economy of God's eternity. That's what the cross teaches us. And so we have to view this life from the perspective of God's eternal life. What we do now matters And we have to see what we do now as a contribution to seasons of life. And here's why knowing this is important. The Bible never speaks about time from this perspective. The Bible doesn't say, like, manage your life based on the immediate. You know, respond to the urgent. Invest your life in the temporal. Those are not teachings you'll find in the scripture. Rather, it is constantly encouraging us to have this more holistic understanding of time. To not disconnect our time from eternity. What we do today, what our decisions are right now have eternal ramifications on our lives forever. And that is why the Bible is more concerned with teaching us to number days, not toil in minutes. Big difference. So what does this mean? It means if you have entered this room today having this this time issue, an urgency issue, you have to start recognizing that managing it that way is making an investment in the temporal, not the eternal and i'm telling you when you start thinking about the eternal when you start thinking about your life and meaning and purpose from th- from the blessing god has given you on this earth and the life he offers you after this earth it's going to change things that is going to give you some insight into what extracurricular activities you enroll your kids in it's going to give you some insight into how much time you spend in front of a tv how much time you spend sleeping how much time you orient your life around work or leisure? How much time you spend loving and serving your God and your neighbor? None of these things that I have mentioned here are bad. There is nothing wrong with, with watching TV or extracurricular activities or sleeping. We have to do that or we'll go crazy. What I'm saying here is that we've got to be careful to not number our minutes in those things. Because then what happens is those things actually become detractors to the type of life God wants us to live. And when that happens, we just start simply jumping from those things to the other things. Life becomes a series of random events. And all we're trying to do is sort of leapfrog to the next one. There is no purpose or meaning in that. We just get up and go to work today, knowing we got to get up and go to work tomorrow. Or we'll do something nice for somebody today. Well, because that's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm not saying that's a, it's not the worst attitude. But if you do that long enough, what will happen is you'll get apathetic in those things. And you won't see fruit in those areas. You won't see God's glory in those areas. You're just going to start getting stuff done. And your life will take on this mode of apathy. God wants us to live our lives in a very different way. Think about our kids, our relationships. He wants us making eternal investments in those. And you can't do that if you don't make time for that. If God's not shaping your time, that won't be a priority. Because God wants all those people we're connecting with whether they're in our living rooms or our workplaces or our schools, those people also have a command God wants to write on their hearts, to be fruitful and multiply. So if you're packing your calendar with leisure activities because you'd rather be busy uh, you'd, rather, you'd rather have something to do every single night than not have something to do. Oh, you've, you've adopted the attitude of the, the workaholic or you really just are waking up and saying, man, I'm just living like for the moment. I can't even think about tomorrow. I want you to know that living like this really can be spiritually myopic. It can be crippling because you will likely end up at the place where you're just trying to survive the temporal nature of a day or a week rather than recognizing that every day and week you have is meant to make up an eternity in your life. And what God wants written on your heart during those moments is joy, it's peace, it's purpose, and he wants those things forever. This is the message of Easter. He dies so that we can, in very imperfect human ways, press into these truths. And so in light of this, I wanna leave you this morning with an action step and a homework assignment to think about your life and your time as we look to the cross in a week. A simple action step and a homework assignment to help you start thinking about what what making decisions in your life looks like, what you are doing and not doing when it comes to honoring God. First, I'll give you the action step and then the homework. This is a simple statement, but it's a statement that is going to be probably difficult for some of us to practice. It's a challenging one is what I'm saying. The first step in addressing time is, is you have to stop avoiding your time issue and start dealing with it. At some point, if you've been listening to these teachings for eight weeks and you still are waking up stressed every day, or you have somebody in your life who's waking up stressed every day, at some point we have to stop the listening and start dealing. The listening has to shape an action. So listen, if you've come to the conclusion throughout this series that you need to give your time back to Jesus, and please hear me here, every single one of us, we're never at a place where we've perfectly given ourselves over to Jesus. We are always growing and being sanctified in him, but there can certainly be places in our lives where we're out of sorts. So if we've come to this, this place where, where we're out of sorts, where we're living in the urgent, you, you just can't think about hours and days because you you're overcome by your minutes. You have to make a choice. You have to go to Jesus and say, I want my life back and my life is in you. Get me back to that, to that vine. Plug this branch back into that vine. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your time again and trust that he wants that for your life more than him. Do not pursue this journey on your own. Let his grace and his goodness, let him take you by the hand and move you in that direction. If you're seeing your life like a knotted mess a needlepoint and you're not seeing a, a, a canvas, an image of beauty for your life, if you feel like you're driving places but never arriving anywhere, if you don't have a purpose in your life, ask God to help you see your life from his eternity. Begin praying about that and know as you do, Jesus has got to be a part of that process. If you make a to-do list today and decide what you're going to hack out of your life and invite into your life, I'm telling you, you will carry the problem over. Unless Jesus creates fruit, what will happen is you will end up with a new set of life priorities based on what matters to you most, and you will just wind up being ruled by those same things. You'll, You'll end up at the same busy, tyrannically urgent place with a different set of circumstances. That's why we need Christ's wisdom to shape this, rather than getting to the place where you're your your work and your rest is is shaped by the priorities of jesus christ in your life remember pruning creates fruit and we're not trying to make our own fruit that's a different religion we're trying to see the fruit of jesus in our lives and so when we let him speak into that it's going to make us look like him it's going to start bringing about that fruit we talked about from galatians so action step one is simply having the courage to ask god honestly what do your eternal purposes look like in my life? What does forever in you mean for me today? And I promise you, we at this church, that Bible you hold in your hand, your prayers to your Lord, your community groups or wherever you're connected, this is a journey we are on together. So don't even ask that question alone. Ask it in confidence knowing God is for you and in any way we can serve you in this way, we are for you too. Ask the right question when it comes to your time because the wrong questions lead to the wrong answers. Ask the question start dealing with it secondly I would say your homework here's the way you can deal with this if you want to get a bearing on this I just would like to ask you to do something most of us probably have a a, a financial budget in our lives meaning we know what that is we know how to sort of like look at income and determine what bills are and make decisions financial priorities based on that if you don't have a financial budget or don't know what that means, then there's another thing we can talk about there. You can also email us about that. But the idea here of a budget simply means when we talks about our, our finances, when we talk about finances, most of us are going to be familiar with the budget. And I want you to take those same principles we apply to a financial budget and apply them to a time budget. And what I simply mean by that is remember the, those categories we spoke about early on in this series, what our life is divvied up into work leisure rest play school whatever those categories are it's time for us to go home and write our own pie charts and I think you would be surprised if you sit down and actually start writing out on a piece of paper what it is you do with your time you're likely going to start seeing things. You might, like in, a, in a, a financial budget, you would say, man, I realize now why I have a, a, you know, increasing credit card debt. I'm like spending more money eating out than I'm earning an in income. It's a, that's a problem. Or I've recognized, you know what? I don't really have a precedent for gospel generosity in my financial budget at all. I'm essentially living to, to satisfy myself when it comes with my money. Or I'm spending more than I'm making. This is the same principle I want you to apply when it comes to a time budget. Begin looking at your weeks over the course of a month start identifying the major categories in it and recognize that just like the accrual or the loss of finances, time builds the same accrual or loss. When you identify your categories, for example, if you're working at the expense of your family, there will be a paycheck for that at the end of your life. If you have recreational activities or spouses or friends or kids or sleep, Bible study, prayer, whatever the categories are, everything you sow into that is going to create a fruit in your life one way or the other a good fruit or an unhealthy branch. You know your category is better than me, but I hope this idea communicates. I suspect much like a financial budget, when you see the amount of time you're spending on certain things in mass and the time you're not spending on other things, you will likely have a greater clarity in what to pray about and starting to ask Jesus to shape your time. He's going to start showing you what to prune, what to add. And at that point, it's a matter of whether or not you'll follow the first step. If you make out your timesheet. And you look at it and you say, I do not talk to God at all through scripture, study, and prayer. God is going to mention that to you. And it's at that point that you have to say, I will or I will not do something about this. Wherever he shows there is a greater need for wisdom, we have to take a step. And that step is, a, is no longer avoiding the problem. And so as we move to the communion table on this Palm Sunday, I want you to ask yourself in our response time some questions. Are you ready and willing to take an honest look at your life when it comes to time? When it comes to producing fruit and pruning your life with Jesus' wisdom, ask yourself, what is he saying to you? What has he said to you over this series about time? What has he said to you about the way you live your life? What is he going to say to you in this week as we think about the cross? The cross is the greatest example of God making time for us. I mean, uh, it is a time, it is a moment in history that changed eternity. It changed the world forever. Our moments matter, every single one of them. And I pray that you will live in God's freedom and grace for every moment that he gives you for the remainder of your time here on this earth. Ask us of what is Jesus saying to you and what is it you will do about it as he leads you this morning.